to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, and I want to read part of 1 Kings chapter 10, and also reading through then the first half of chapter 11. Uh, this takes us to the, the days of King Solomon. Uh, these were, in many ways, the, the glory days in the Old Testament period after the reign of, of David. There was then a peaceful time under Solomon, a time when there was much building work done. The temple was constructed and uh, many, many palaces and government buildings in Jerusalem. The time of great riches, uh, a time when people from many nations were coming uh, to uh, Jerusalem to visit Solomon to see the splendors that were, were there. And we, we read a little bit about those, uh, those golden things uh, in chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 14, and then reading through into chapter 11, and we'll go as far as verse 13. Now this is God's word, First Kings chapter 10, at verse 14. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues from merchants and traders, and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the land, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 beakers of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with three miners of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne inlaid with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made. For any other kingdom. All kings, all King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver and ivory, and apes and baboons. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, and spices, and horses, and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities, and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt 
and from Q. The royal merchants purchased them from Q. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Arameans. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet, I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Then I also want to read just a few verses in the New Testament. James chapter 1, towards the end of the, the New Testament. Uh, the book of James comes after Hebrews. First chapter of James, and just reading from verse 5 through to verse 8. Solomon, when he was asked by God to request whatever he wanted, he asked God for uh, a wise and discerning heart. He asked God for wisdom. And here in James chapter 1, we're told in verse 5, that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. 
So reads God's own word. Now if you turn to God's word please. First uh, Kings chapter 11. And the verses I'll be referring to in particular are the first 13 verses uh, here in this chapter. story of the life of King Solomon is found in uh, the book of First Kings. It's also recorded in, in Chronicles. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that you have is much the same in the two places. Uh, almost everything that you read about Solomon up until... First uh, Kings chapter 11 is a tale of great success. It's a, a tale of greatness. Solomon is the son of King David. And he himself becomes king. Very quickly he deals with all the internal threats that there, there were uh, to his kingdom. He is the man who builds the great golden temple in Jerusalem, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He builds wonderful palaces and government buildings. He is the wisest man in the world and he is among the, the richest men in the world. He was, he was the richest of the kings of the earth at that time. Solomon was a man who, who was famous well, well beyond the borders of Israel. He was famous for his wisdom, famous for his knowledge, for his understanding. And so great was he that when uh, officials and kings and queens came to witness and to, to hear his greatness, that they didn't even bother to envy his success. Uh, he was so much in a league of his own that they didn't envy him. They were just... Amazed by what they found. And they praised the God who had blessed this man so evidently and so abundantly. Here was a king who was a wonderful blessing unto his people. Uh, the Queen of Sheba envied the servants of Solomon who had the blessing of being daily in his presence. Uh, the story of Solomon is a story not just of success but of spectacular success. And then we come to chapter 11. Some Bible versions, the chapter begins with the word but. Uh, NIV it has, however, King Solomon, however. And uh, in chapter 11 we're told about Solomon's spectacular fall. Everything that Solomon does is done big time. And so when he falls, he falls big time. Uh, I want to speak first of all about Solomon loving the wrong woman. Uh, this is the first thing that we're told of immediately at the start of the chapter. That King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter was his, his first wife. We're told that he, he loved foreign women of the Moabites, of the Ammonites, of the Edomites, of the Sidonians, and of the Hittites. Now, for Solomon to have married women who were foreign women who worshipped false gods, that was to go against the clear command of God. That was not Solomon acting wisely. 
that was Solomon acting in disobedience. In the book of Deuteronomy, God gave clear instructions for how the king over God's nation Israel was to act. There were things that he was to do, to be careful to do, and there were things that he must not do. Deuteronomy 17 verse 17 says, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. And within the Old Testament scriptures, there was a a very short, concise and clear instruction that was given to kings. And this is part of it. And Solomon rejected that. And he did multiply wives for himself. And they did turn his heart away. Uh, In verse 2, it's noted that Solomon married women from forbidden sources. It wasn't just that he married loads and loads of women. He married women from uh, sources that were forbidden by God. He married them from nations, verse 2, about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. But Solomon did that. He married those that he should never have married. And we're told also, That he held fast to them in love. What he had, he intended to hold. Now, as usual in what we find in the story of Solomon, uh, what he does is done on a grand scale. It wasn't just that he married a handful of women, of these, these women of these different nations. It wasn't one or two from each of them. Um... He had 700 wives, we're told. Uh, Some of them were foreign princesses that were married, probably uh, some form of political alliance to ensure stability and peace. And if that wasn't bad enough to have 700 wives, he also had 300 concubines. These are women that he lived with who he wasn't actually (coughs) married to. Now that was not wisdom. That was not Solomon using the amazing wisdom that God had granted to him. This was madness. Sinful madness. And among all of those thousand women in his life, there was not one of them that did him any good. There's an interesting verse in Ecclesiastes where Solomon writes about uh, searching. And he talks about a thousand women And he didn't find one among them all. And I think that's probably a reference to his own life experience. And how he had chosen so foolishly in terms of his marriage and his marriages. The end of verse 3, we're told that his, his wives turned his heart away. They led him astray. So Solomon went against the commands of God. He entered into many, many heart allegiances with women. And the result was that his heart was turned away from the Lord. He couldn't love the Lord with all his heart because he was so busy loving these women that he shouldn't have been loving. He's clinging on to these many wives and concubines. And so Solomon was was guilty. Of loving the wrong woman. But none of you here today are likely to be married 
700 times. Uh, you don't need to have a, a thousand women in your life or a thousand men in your life to go astray. It only, it only takes one. Solomon went wrong when he married the daughter of Pharaoh. He went wrong then. And then he just kept on going wrong and adding to his sins. One forbidden love is enough to ruin a person's witness and testimony. Um, scriptures teach us that believers are to be united in heart uh, only with believers. That Christians should only marry those who are also uh, Christians. And it, is, it only takes one violation of God's rule to cause untold damage. Great consequences arose from Solomon loving the wrong woman. Now, this is an area in which it's important to guard your hearts. And you young folk, if you're Christian young folk, uh, be convinced that God makes it absolutely clear to you that you should only pursue a partner in life who also loves the Lord. That is really, really important. So, worshipping the wrong... Uh, not worshipping. Loving the wrong woman. The second thing then about Solomon is uh, we find him worshipping the wrong gods. God warned that if you marry these women who worship false gods, they will lead you astray. Solomon married many of them. And what he was warned about was what took place. They did turn his heart after their gods. Uh, verse 4 as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And he's compared also unfavorably with David his father. Now David, of course, was not free from sin. But David was not an idolater as Solomon became. Solomon became a man who worshipped false gods. He used idols in the worship of false gods. David didn't do that. And he is compared on several occasions unfavorably to David. And to Solomon's shame, we're told, uh, of his spiritual unfaithfulness. We're told in verse 5 of how he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. We even learn that he, he built a high place, verse 7, for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And that's just a selection, a selected few. Because we're told in verse 8 that he did the same for all his foreign wives. All 700 of them. And all the different gods that they worshipped. Solomon made provision for them to be able to worship their false gods. And they burned incense to their false gods. They offered sacrifices to their false gods. Solomon, the king over God's people, he is overseeing this. What was all that saying to the people of the nation of Israel? Solomon's heart goes after these false gods of his wives. Now, it wasn't the case that, that he abandoned the worship of God. He didn't desert the temple that he had poured so much energy uh, into. But the Lord uh, became... In a sense, a bit like Pharaoh's daughter that was Solomon's first wife. Uh, she was just one among many. 
and the Lord became one among many, many gods that Solomon worshipped. And those high places that we read of, that Solomon built for the false gods, uh, we're told in verse 7 that they were built on a hill east of Jerusalem. Well, the hill that's east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. And that's where the Garden of Gethsemane uh, was located. And Philip Reichen comments that uh, it stands directly opposite the Temple Mount. And he says, Thus Solomon practiced the grotesque and damnable rites of pagan worship within plain sight of God's holy temple. Solomon was a, a wonderful builder. Um, he was celebrated for the tremendous buildings that were constructed in Jerusalem. But look at the kind of builder that he became in his later years. A builder of high places for the worship of false gods. Now today, I would be pretty sure that none of you will be tempted uh, to worship Molech or Chemosh or any of these false gods that are mentioned here. But you'll be tempted in other ways. And there'll be things that will get a grip on your heart that will become the all-important things in your life. And the danger is you'll not be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul because something else becomes so important in your life that the Lord gets squeezed out. Do not let the Lord become just one of many voices. Make sure that it's his voice that triumphs over all other voices that you can't stop hearing, but you, you can only follow one voice. So Solomon was guilty of, of loving the wrong woman and of worshipping the wrong gods. Then the third place we, we find uh, Solomon reaping what he had sown. Uh, surely it would be surprising if God just overlooked everything that Solomon did in, in, in chapter 11. And that's indeed not what God does. Verses 9 to 13 tell us something of how Solomon reaped what Solomon had sown. We're told how the Lord became angry with Solomon. Angry because Solomon's heart had turned away from the Lord the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice to, to warn him and instruct him. And God was, was all the more angry because this was something Solomon had been specifically warned about. God had appeared to him on these two occasions, and he had forbidden, verse 10, he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods. But Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. Uh, God tells Solomon then that because of his sin, because of his covenant unfaithfulness, his kingdom is going to be torn away. And yet for the sake of his father David, God says it will not happen, Solomon, in your lifetime. It will happen when your son is reigning. And if you read on, you'll see it wasn't very long until everything changed uh, in Israel. God, in his mercy, said that he would not remove the whole kingdom, but that one tribe would remain. That would be the tribe of Judah. And Jerusalem was located within the territory 
of Judah. And so Solomon's sin was going to lead to the division of the kingdom. It would be a united kingdom no more. A divided kingdom would be the result of what Solomon had sown. God was going to act against Solomon and his idolatry. And yet there would be that element of mercy uh, within God's judgment. And the actions of Solomon and the consequences of his sin remind us that God is committed to that principle that what a person reaps that they will or what they sow that they will also reap. Uh, we will reap the things that we sow. When we give ourselves to something that will grow, it will produce results and we need to be giving ourselves to the things that are good and God-honoring and the things that the Lord loves. So Solomon, we find him reaping what he had sown. Well, in the fourth place then, I want to speak about, about heeding the warning. Um, Solomon is a character that we're told a lot about in the scriptures. And surely God tells us these things for our good, for our benefit. And I, I want to uh, point to four ways in which we need to heed the warning that is found in these verses. First of all, we should take note that spectacular falls do not happen overnight. Solomon did not go suddenly uh, from being a, a lover of God and a spiritual leader of his people to the next day being hitched to a, a thousand unbelievers and worshipping false gods. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis comments that Solomon's plunge into pagan ecumenism, it took years the result of the creeping pace of accumulated compromises. The fruit of a conscience desensitized by repeated permissiveness. It was a little bit at a time that these things took place. It didn't all happen just at once. Another writer, Philip Reichen, says it did not happen overnight. Sin often begins with what may feel like a minor concession. Long before most people ever fall into disgrace, they sow the seeds of their own destruction by making lots of little spiritual compromises. And that's what we need to be aware of. It's easy for us to see the big things in which we fall into sin. But it's those little compromises that we're tempted to make. And it doesn't seem like much at all. But when we give in to those little temptations and make those little compromises, well then there's another little step further along. And it's not too hard to do the same with that. And another little step and another little step. And soon you've travelled quite a long distance from where you used to stand and say, this is what I believe and this is what I am committed to. So we need to be aware of the beginnings of sin. Compromise quickly becomes commonplace. And soon it ends in catastrophe. Um, one illegitimate wife eventually became a thousand wives and concubines. It doesn't happen overnight. 
We need to be careful all the time, watchful. Am I being tempted to go a little bit astray here? And then it'll be another little bit, and another little bit, and another little bit. And you'll, down the road, you'll meet somebody you haven't seen them for five years, and they'll wonder what's happened to you. You're not the woman you used to be. You're not the man you used to be. You've gone backwards rather than going forwards. That's the first, first thing. Spectacular falls do not happen overnight. Second lesson I think it's important to grasp is that great gifts do not safeguard the heart. Solomon was supremely gifted with wisdom. But that didn't guarantee that he would keep on the right tracks in life. And the emphasis in these verses in chapter 11 is upon the heart. Solomon failed to practice one of his own Proverbs, or something that's found in Proverbs 4.23. It says there, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The heart's the all-important thing. Gifts aren't the all-important thing. It's, it's good when there are people within the church who have great spiritual gifts. But that does not remove from those people the need for them to guard their hearts above all else. And in a sense, you see, the more gifted a person is, the more they need to guard their heart. Uh, as long as your heart is guarded and is for the Lord, well, then your gifts will be channeled in a God-honoring direction. But if your heart goes astray, well, then you end up using your gifts for all the wrong purposes. And you end up building high places to false gods. You end up with things dominating your life that really do not matter in the cause of Christ. They might matter to you, but they're not the things that he's concerned about. The more gifted you are, the more damage you can do within Christ's church. If your heart goes astray, you can do great harm. And so, for example, when we pray that God will raise up men for the Christian ministry, for missionary work and, and whatever. We shouldn't just pray for gifted men, but we should pray for men who will guard their hearts. Great gifts do not safeguard the heart. We all need to guard our hearts. The third lesson I want to to emphasize is that you're never too old to mess it all up. And that's a powerful lesson, I believe, from the life of Solomon. It was uh, as Solomon grew old, verse 4. It was as Solomon grew old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. It was when he was old, when he was in his later years, that's when he blew it. That's when he did all the damage that he did. Not when he was young, full of energy, full of passion, subject to all the temptations of youth. No. It wasn't when he was middle-aged. When he was busy with all the affairs of kingdom life, so much to be done. It wasn't then that he blew it. 
No, it was when he was old. Maybe when he was that bit less busy. Maybe a sort of a semi-retired Solomon. That bit less watchful. Maybe that bit more self-confident. Thinking, I can do this. Living in his own strength. Maybe he's thinking that the heat of the battle is over. That all the important things have been accomplished. And now it's just a matter of maintaining what has been put in place. That's when he had his spectacular fall. This is spectacular. This is no ordinary episode that is recorded here. So this is a warning to those who are further on in life. You may be tempted to think that you've been standing firm for a long time. And you're not going to go off the rails. You're not going to be leading other people astray. That you're not in any danger of falling. The scriptures would warn us that throughout life. We have the potential to mess things up big time. Here's a man who really did it. When he was old. So no taking the foot off the pedal. No thinking well. I know the scriptures. I don't need to study the word of God. No thinking well. I don't need to come to worship. And come to prayer meetings. I've been doing that for a long time. It's time for others to do those things. You've got to keep going. You've got to be fully devoted to God. Or you can end up like Solomon. You're never too old to mess it all up. And then the final lesson from this sad passage is that sin has far-reaching consequences. The sin of Solomon did not end with Solomon. Uh, if we look ahead in the scriptures to the things that follow on, well, we see the division of the kingdom. But we also, we also see how the idolatry that, that Solomon introduced for the sake of his wives and concubines was a problem for years and years and years in the land of Judah. Uh, we look forward, look ahead in the, in the scriptures to the days of a, another great king. The last great king of Judah was Josiah. And he reigned about 300 years beyond those later years of Solomon. Last of the godly kings. A man who had a great zeal to reform the nation. And to reform all that he could. He longed to see God's will being done in Judah. As it was done in heaven. And if you would turn forward to Second uh, Kings chapter 23. Just note what it says there. If you can find verse 13. It tells us about the reforms of Josiah. And there's lots of things that he does. But Second Kings 23 and verse 13. It says there, The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Over 300 years later, they're still there. They're still there. And Josiah has to deal with them. 
over 300 years of idolatry because of the sin of one man, Solomon. What a legacy that was. What damage one person's sin can do. One influential person. And his sin is, is remembered even longer than that uh, in the book of Nehemiah. Um, something like 520 years after Solomon went astray. Nehemiah 13 at verse 26. It says, Did not Solomon king of Israel sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Same thing was happening in the days of Nehemiah. Nehemiah says this is, this is what happened to Solomon. So Solomon is, is a man who holds on to, to one sin in particular. And that sin proves to be very, very costly indeed. question is, how many sins can you safely hold on to? And the answer is none. There is no such thing as safe sin. All sin is incredibly dangerous. And we need to heed the warnings that come to us from the life of this great man. Man who was such a blessing to his people for so many years. And yet did such harm for so many years following on after him. Let us heed the warnings. Solomon was warned. He didn't heed the warnings. He went his own way rather than the Lord's way. And the, the results were disastrous. Let us guard our hearts. Amen.